This message is intended to be listened to after viewing a short video clip from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You can find this clip by visiting joyeugene.com blockbuster or by clicking the link in the description below. You can watch it now. Well, this morning I have the privilege to share uh, a talk on the topic of teamwork, and I want to share this dynamic idea of teamwork. I know we've all heard this word teamwork, and you're probably thinking, like, I learned that in kindergarten, I learned that in high school sports, you know, there's no I in team, and I get it, and we kind of have a cultural value of teamwork, don't we, that you don't want to be a prima donna, you want to be a good team player, right? You've heard this before. But I think this idea of teamwork, it sort of gets relegated to kind of that schoolyard level of importance. And actually, it has so much more relevance for those that are followers of Christ. Because to really make an impact in the world, to really make an impact specifically for us in this community, we have to learn the power of teamwork, learn the power of team. Just like the Ninja Turtles were able to come together and, and, and get over their differences you know, you have to be an Italian Renaissance painter, have a name like Leonardo, uh, Donatello, Raphael. What's the last guy's name? Michelangelo. Yeah. And, and they're very different, aren't they? Leonardo's this leader. He's intense. Uh, Raphael's like ripped. He's buff and he's kind of angry and intense like Tom. And um, just messing with you, Tom. <laughs> just messing with you. Tom, you're like, you're like the brains. Donatello, the purple... The purple guy, he's, he's the brains of the operation. Tana tells like the guy you cheat off of in school, right? You know what I'm talking about? The girl for me that could color in the, in the lines that I always cheated off of. And then you have, who's the last one? Who am I missing? Mikey, he's like the fun. He's the life of the party, right? He's the guy that says, cowabunga. And uh, in, in team, there's all these different kinds of personalities, different giftings. But when they come together, they're better than they were by themselves, and really the theme out of the turtle movies, if, if you have followed the turtle lore and all that, is that this idea of working together and, and working as a team. And I want to share that with you today. This is something that we say around here. We say teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. Now I know that's kind of cheesy, but actually it has some deep significance because the vision that God has given us as a church and the vision that God wants to invite every person into, maybe this is your first time and you're like, I'm not part of the team. No, God wants you to be part of his family. He wants you on his team. And God is the one that has a dream that is way bigger than any of us as individuals, our capacity to accomplish. And it requires us to come together as a team. It requires us to come together in unity. I'm going to give you the C.S. Lewis quote of the day. Those of you that hang out at Joy Church, you know that this is obligatory. And uh, I do spread it out from week to week, but here's your C.S. This is for you, Jordan. C.S. Lewis quote of the day. C.S. Lewis said, there are two things you cannot do by yourself. You can't be married by yourself, except for if you're Dennis Rodman, but we'll leave that off. You can't be married by yourself, and you can't be a Christian by yourself. C.S. Lewis said, you cannot... Be married by yourself, and you cannot be a Christian by yourself. Now, he's not saying that if you're on a desert island and you're all by yourself, that you can't pray and receive Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying you cannot live out the authentic Christian faith. You cannot be an authentic follower of Christ apart from your ability to serve, to love, and to, to share what is God is doing on the inside of you. You cannot do that all by yourself. Now, this comes in contrast to our kind of Western paradigm 
of spirituality and our idea of what it means to be a Christian. For a lot of people, this word Christian conveys this imagery of a person going into their room and opening a Bible and, and kind of praying and, and uh, having this relationship with God. For many people, Christianity is God and them, and that's it. Well, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sundays. It's, it's God and I. Uh, we just have our relationship. But Jesus blew this mentality up 2,000 years ago when somebody said, Jesus, what's the most important law? What is the most important commandment? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And everybody nodded along. Oh yeah, it's God and me. If I love God, if I'm a good person, if I pray and I read my Bible, that's what it means. And Jesus said, hold on a second. There's a second commandment and it's like it. It's of equal importance. He said, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when you study this out in the source languages, what you realize is Jesus is actually saying that how we love others is a demonstration of if we actually love God. You cannot be a Christian by yourself. The very nature of Christianity, the very root message of the gospel is that Jesus left an elevated position in heaven to serve, to save, to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you're following Jesus, then you have to follow in his footsteps. That the call to be a Christian is not just to sit alone in a room and be devout. <laughs> that, the, that really the gospel is living in the slums and in the dirty places and with dirty people and slimy people and all this kind of stuff. When we exhibit and take the love that God has placed in us and what he's done in us and we go out into the world and we serve and we love and we, we give. Come on, somebody. You can't be a Christian by yourself. It takes a team takes unity. Now, Jesus said something powerful in John chapter 17, verse 20. Let me set the stage here. This is a prayer that Jesus prays, but he's at what we call the Last Supper. And this is his last conversation, his last teaching moment with his followers right before he'll be betrayed, right before he'll be falsely tried, falsely accused, and then, and then crucified on the cross. So this is Jesus, kind of his last words, and he prays here in John chapter 17, and he says this, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Let me just draw attention to the fact that Jesus is praying for you and for me at this moment. Every person that believes in Jesus, every person that is a follower of Christ, he's praying for you right now. And he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. Listen to this. He says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And that you love them as much as you love me. Now, I know we read a lot of words here, but let's talk about what Jesus is praying about and what his dream is that he's praying about. Jesus is saying, God, we are one. We are in unity. This is that vertical relationship. He says, Father, you know that we have, we're good. We're tight. We're like this. I'm your son. We have this relationship. That is available to you through Christ, that relationship with the Father. But that's not where Jesus leaves it. He says, and I pray that not only will, will, will you and I be tight, but, but God, I pray that my disciples and everyone that will come after, and that's us, 
that not only will they have unity with you and with me, but together they will even have unity with each other. In fact, that it would be such perfect unity that the world will not think, not see, no. He says that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Did you know the most powerful proclamation of the gospel has never been preached on a Sunday morning? Billy Graham never gave the most powerful proclamation of the gospel. Charles Spurgeon didn't give the most powerful proclamation of the gospel. Even Jesus himself, when he walked on this planet 2,000 years ago, did not give the most powerful proclamation of the gospel. The most powerful proclamation of the gospel is the church. The most powerful proclamation of the gospel is the community of those that belong to Jesus, that in their relationships with God and their relationships with one another, there would be an undeniable presence of God, his love, his grace at work in a bunch of slackers and losers and people that don't deserve it. Wave at me. How many of you could say like unabashedly, I do not deserve the grace of God, but he saved me, but he reached down and rescued me, but he gave me a place at the table, God said, you have full refrigerator rights in my house. Come on, somebody. Uh, that you get a place in this family, even though you don't deserve it. And then our love that we have, our unity in this community is and always will be and always has been the most powerful proclamation of the fact that there's a God and that he loves people and that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for their sins so people could be reconciled into that family. We are the living, breathing proclamation of the gospel. Come on, I'm preaching good today. Come on, somebody. And you say, well, it's, so what's the big deal about teamwork? Well, the big deal about teamwork is that when we are together, we are better than when we are alone. Together, we are the representation of the gospel. Together, we are the community of Christ. Together, we can change the city. We can change the world. We stand together, but we fall alone. And this is the dream of Jesus for this kind of unity. God wants to build a team. He is building a team to accomplish a dream that is greater than anyone can do alone. That is far greater than any of us could do by ourselves. In fact, the dream of Jesus is impossible to do alone. You cannot fulfill this prayer of Christ all by yourself. Oh, but I'm going to really pray hard. I'm going to read my Bible hard. Those are not bad things. Those are great things to do. But no, the dream of Jesus takes place in the context of the church, in the context of community, that we would be that living and breathing and viable community of faith, of love, of grace. That is a living testament to the witness of Jesus. When I was growing up, I listened to my, one of my favorite bands was DC Talk. How many of you like DC Talk? Toby Mac, and the Mac is back no slack. On a DC track, this jacked. To be on comprehension, I believe that I failed to mention that. Yeah, you know, I could just go all day. You know it. Yeah, yeah. You're welcome. All right. <clears throat> and they had a song, and in the beginning of it, I think Kevin Max, he says, single greatest cause of atheism in the world is, what, what is it? Somebody help me out. Is that Christians that, because basically it's Christians that don't, don't look like it. And I know growing up, we had this idea that like, oh, don't be a hypocrite, which, you know, it's, it's good. But honestly, all of us are imperfect. So if, you know, you're trying to act perfect, you are a hypocrite. Um, and, you know, trying to be perfect is really not the right 
object or goal in life because we can't. And so anyways, you know, we, we thought about this, but as I thought about those words, what it really strikes me is that it's not that the world needs to see that church people are perfect, that the followers of Christ are perfect. The world needs to see that you love each other, that we love one another. The world needs to see that we understand our brokenness and are connected not because of our perfection, but because of our relationship. Come on. People want to belong to something that's real. They want to belong to something that is, that is about love, that's about real community. And this is what we have been invited into, is this beautiful community of faith, of love, of grace, of walking together. This is the dream of Jesus. Now, you might walk into a place like Joy, and maybe this is your first time. I hope you feel so welcome. Maybe you've been here many times. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for many years. Maybe you just started following Jesus. All of us are at a different place in the journey. But when you walk into a place like this, it's easy to look around and see incredibly gifted people and say, I'm not needed. I don't have a part to play. I'm unimportant. I'm, I'm not valuable. Or you could look around and say, I'm, I'm better than them. I could do a better job. But for most people, they come in and, and they, they look around and they see Melody singing. And she sings like an angel, right? Good job, Melody. And you're like, you see Kyle and he looks like an angel, you know? <laughs> And you see me, and I have that perfect Italian nose. Just crooked, and I can use it to dig all the pasta noodles out that I need to. No, I'm just kidding. But you look around, and you see gifted people, and there's some great gifted people. The greeters, and the people and kids, and everyone serving, and it's awesome. And you can look around and say, oh, I'm not needed. There's already a great team. Well, there is a great team. But it's not true that you're not needed. It is not true that you're not important. The Bible teaches us that every one of us is needed. In the scriptures, we, we hear the church is called the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, and his people, his followers, are the body. And when you are not functioning in your God-given place, in your God-given function in the body, then the body is functioning less than optimally. It's not working right here in our community. I mean, think about this. If Jesus is the head and we are his body and he wants to come and he wants to represent himself well to this city, does Jesus want to roll up with a missing elbow? Does Jesus want to roll up with a broken ankle? No. When you take yourself out of the mix and you say, oh, I'm not good enough or there's more gifted people or whatever, you are saying my part of the body doesn't matter and I can just step out. You see, this dream only works if all of us are part of the body, if all of us are part of the team. Paul talks about this image in 1 Corinthians 12. Paul was a, an apostle and a disciple of Jesus, and he, he talks about an image of a dysfunctional body in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put, listen to this part, God has put each part just where he wants it. 
How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. You see, when we come in to this kind of a gathering and we say, I'm not needed, we're saying this body doesn't need an ear, doesn't need a foot, doesn't need a hand because it already has a kneecap. That's just weird. And if your body is talking to you, we'll pray for you after church. (laughs) Demons out in Jesus. Anyways, it's dysfunctional. And yet that's what we do, isn't it? We look and we say, oh, I'm not needed. I'm going to recuse myself from doing my part. But God is the one that made you how he made you. God is the one that placed you where he placed you. Who are you to say, this body doesn't need, fill in the blanks. This body doesn't need me. This body does need you to be what Jesus intended it to be. What makes a dysfunctional body? It's one word. It's this word comparison. Comparison needs to die. It needs to die in our heart. It needs to die in our minds. And it needs to die in what we do and what we decide. This is what comparison is. Comparison is when I either overvalue my part or I undervalue my part. You see, maybe you're the kind of person that comes in and you're like, I could preach better. You probably can. Oh, I could do that better. I could sing better. I could, I could set this up better. I could think through that better. Maybe so. Why don't you jump in and, and do your part and, and, and function in the way that God wants you to function? But we overvalue sometimes. What about this? What about undervalue? Oh, I don't, I'm not needed. I'm not as gifted as this one. I'm, I can't sing like her. I can't preach like him. I can't smile like that. I can't do that. I can't love kids like this, this person. Comparison is when we compare ourselves to others, either above our station or below And it needs to die. It needs to go away because it creates dysfunction. Let me tell you the only comparison you need to make. Wake up in the morning. Put your whatever you wear in the morning on and nice robe, velvet or something. Go stand in the mirror and look at yourself and recognize that you're not Jesus. And then check it every day. Oh, I'm still not Jesus. That's the only comparison you need to make. Because see, no matter how good somebody else is, they're not Jesus. No matter how bad somebody else is, they're not Jesus. The only comparison you need to make is to realize you're not Jesus and you need him, right? God is not confused. He doesn't think he's you. But sometimes we think that we're, you know, we're him. No, you're not. Just realize the only comparison I need to make is to understand that I'm not Jesus and that I need him. And that the foot of the cross is a level playing field. There's no tiered system where you come to the cross and, well, here's a bronze player and a silver medalist and a a gold medalist. No, all of us are sinners in need of grace and we all come to the foot of the cross and we're all there together and there is no levels of importance. Well, he's a better Christian or she's a, a worse. No, no, no. What you have is you have people with different giftings, different parts. Some people have built maturity and character. Maybe they're excelling in a certain area, but nobody's better, nobody's worse. Comparison needs to die. Comparison needs to die. And I think that for a lot of us, you know, we, we walk around with so much insecurity and insecurity robs you of your destiny. Insecurity steals away from you everything that Jesus wants to do through you. I'm just preaching today, guys. I'm just preaching. Aren't you glad that medical science has evolved from this kind of thinking? You know, if you were to walk into the doctor in the 1200s, you know, 1100s and say, doctor, I'm feeling a little under the weather they would prescribe uh, this treatment called bloodletting. 
which was like, well, hey, I'm going to drain some of your blood and you'll feel a lot better. You know, you don't need that blood. That blood has, you know, what? But that was like normal treatment. Are you glad we moved past that? In the 1940s, uh, to, to try to help people with mental issues, if you were depressed or you were angry or something, some of the doctors, they said, well, I think that this part of your brain here in the front, it, it, it controls that. And so we came up with this procedure, which I can't imagine the first person that went through this, where they take like an ice pick and they put it through your eye socket and then they monkey around in there and remove parts of your brain. It's called a lobotomy. And lobotomy was given to 30, 40, 50,000 people in our country before we clued in that putting the needle into your brain, it maybe doesn't work. In other words, this is what was happening, is that we were saying, I don't need this part of my body anymore. I'm not a doctor. I didn't play one on TV, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express, so I don't know. But, you know, we take, people say, oh, I got my tonsils taken out. I got this part of my body taken out. I don't need it anymore. Are you sure? <laughs> Let me give you this. Don't give the church a lobotomy. You see, you might be sitting here feeling insecure, like, I'm not needed, I'm not necessary. What, what you're doing is you're saying, we, we can get rid of this part and nothing bad will happen. You're wrong. I can remove myself. I can recuse myself. I can stay on the sidelines. I don't have to serve on the dream team. I'm not needed. There's a lot of gifted people. Sure, there's a lot of gifted people. Maybe Sunday mornings are going to happen if you don't jump in to the team but let me tell you what's not going to happen. The dream of Jesus that his people would function as this complete proclamation of the gospel, it's not going to come to pass at the level that it could in our city. I don't want to die and look at Jesus and say, I, I made sure that not all your dream got accomplished because I was too fat or too skinny or too embarrassed or I didn't think I was as gifted. I was too insecure. I, 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 didn't, I didn't jump in. I didn't give my all. I didn't go all the way. I didn't get into the team because... Of whatever reason, Jesus, sorry, the dream didn't come to pass. I don't want to do that. Don't give the church a lobotomy. It's the weirdest sermon point in the whole world. But it's what we do when we take ourselves out of the mix and say, my part is not important. If you spend any time around Joy Church, then you know that one of the, the big things that we talk about is that we want everybody to get off the bench and into the game. Did you know that the most important moments at Joy Church do not happen on Sunday mornings? What, what's happening right here with me giving a, a pep talk, giving a sermon, preaching here, is literally far down the totem pole of, of importance this week at our church. The most important moments at Joy Church will happen tomorrow morning with your children. They will happen at work tomorrow. They will happen at school. They will happen on Wednesday when somebody cuts you off because nobody knows how to merge in Eugene. You know, so the most important moments will happen when the church, the body of Christ, is exhibiting and living and loving and serving this beautiful city that God has placed us in. This is a huddle. But what happens out this week is the game. And that's what we're all about. And here's what I'm here to tell you today. Do not sit this one out. God has brought you to this place and he's put you in this moment for such a time. You say, well, Jake, I'm just here. I just want to sit. I just want to receive. I just want to feed. Okay, good. That's great. You can come sit, eat popcorn, be a part. That's great. We love you. We're not going to be kicked out. Nobody's going to come get you at all. But listen to the words of Jesus. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. It implies taking a step. It implies getting up 
Now, everybody's at a different place. So maybe for you, just coming to church every Sunday is a step. Praise God for that. Maybe for you, learning to be a better husband or wife is where you need to take that next step. That's great. But take some steps. Get off the sideline. Get in the game because Jesus has a dream that he wants to accomplish in this city. Do we got my Uncle Sam picture up there? Boom. We need you. We need you. The church of Jesus needs you to accomplish the dream that he has. This message has a ridiculously awesome ending, and you're not going to get it today. You're going to get it tomorrow when you log in at Joy Church Eugene on Facebook, and in the Monday moment, I'm going to give you a 3D perspective of teamwork and some, some great content. And So obviously, I'm shamelessly pushing you to go to Facebook so you will... Uh, sign up there. And the reason we want to be on Facebook is because that's where our generation is at. It's where the world is at. So we want the church to be in that sphere operating. So that's where the end of this message is at, you guys. But I want to give you one action step. If you haven't taken the next track yet, we do it the first four Sundays of the month. So next week is week one. I want to encourage you to take that step of faith and go to next track. It's about an hour long. It happens during first service at 9 a.m. And at next track, you're going to get a couple of things. Number one, we, we want to help you discover who you are and how God's made you. You're going to take a spiritual gifts test and a personality test to find out how you're wired. Number two, we're going to give you some handlebars and opportunities to see in Joy Church, where can I connect? Where can I use my giftings and my personality to best serve the dream of Jesus to see this city come to know Christ and to be brought into his family and you're going to be empowered and trained up. So if you have not taken next track, if you haven't gone through that, I want to encourage you next Sunday, 9 a.m., get in there and do it. Now, it runs all the time. So if you're going to miss a week, maybe you missed the third week, you can roll around and do it in September. But I want to encourage every one of you to find out who you are in God, how you're wired, and how you can make a difference. Because you are not, you were not made to sit on the bench. You were made to play the game. And every one of us, God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you, and you have a difference to make. You, have a, uh, you can make an impact in the world around you. Amen? Amen. Amen.